Welcome back to Clay, the podcast for courageous leaders always yearning for more Jesus in their life. The podcast for Christian men desiring to be the best they can possibly be for his kingdom's come. My name is Justin. I am your host, and I'm excited to share with you today a sermon that I had the privilege of sharing, uh, preaching a couple of weeks ago here in the uh, Issaquah, Washington area. My hope and desire in sharing this with you is that uh, just like any other episode, the sermon would lead to conversations for you. I think there's a number of points that come up here in uh, the the story of, of Paul as we continue uh, preaching through Acts uh, here at Issaquah Christian Church in, uh, well, Issaquah, Washington, go figure. I, I really hope that uh, there's some value here uh, that you gain, that uh, you glean. It's an, it an honor to be able to share this message. I'm looking forward to being back there in a few weeks, uh, preaching uh, yet again. Uh, this is uh, something that I've, I've really grown to enjoy doing for friends of mine, uh, those in, in ministry who need a break or need a fill-in uh, at the pulpit. Uh, I'm happy to to do so, and uh, it has become something that I've rather enjoyed. So uh, my hope is that as I enjoy uh, enjoyed sharing this message a couple of weeks ago, that you enjoy hearing it, uh, that uh, there is something here that leads to more conversations for you. Because again, that is the point of this podcast here. This is not to be an end-all, be-all for you. I hope that uh, I never become the guy for you. Uh, but rather, I hope that uh, this is something that uh, leads to further conversation as you continue discipling others in your life, as you continue working to be a disciple who makes disciples, somebody who's actually living out their faith, somebody who's actually standing on principle, standing on values, and willing, willing to be a light in a dark place. Good. Okay. Uh, that, that Paul has a very interesting testimony, a very interesting story. 
where he was formerly Saul. And Saul, uh, he, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was somebody who uh, made his name in the church, in the early, early church, before we called it the church. He was one of those guys who was following all the, all the rules. He was uh, zealous for God. He was living for God. And what we're going to see today is a, the second time that we, uh, we get to read. And Luke is actually the, the man who penned Acts. He wrote down what we're reading today. He saw it necessary to repeat Paul's story three times. And this is the second of the three times he's going to repeat it. Uh, again, later in Acts, he saw it necessary to do so for for a few reasons. So I'm going to talk about all those reasons today. Uh, the reality is, everybody everybody has a story. Everybody has a story, uh, and those uh, those stories are often compared to one another, aren't they? There's a lot of times where we as Christians or we as uh, non-believers, perhaps, if you're joining us today and you don't know who Jesus is. Or maybe you know who Jesus is and he's no longer part of your life. At least you don't think that he is. There's a lot of times where we have the opportunity to compare our story to somebody else's. And it's very easy as someone who's grown up for most of my life in the church, not all of it, but most of it, to compare my life to that of somebody like Paul. Where Paul had this radical story where he actually lived part of his life killing Christians. Locking them up, finding them, going to cities like Damascus, as we'll read today, to find those that are following the way, that are following Jesus, taking them out of their homes, taking away from their families, and persecuting them, locking them up, prison, jail, death. To then, we get to read about Paul writing letters to the early church, to all of these cities that he's visited. To help the church grow, to love and to encourage and to strengthen the church. This is Paul's story. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and suddenly he's a different man. With an entirely different story. But what about me? I grew up in the church. I didn't have that moment where suddenly I go from living a life totally opposed to Jesus Christ to then living a life for him. Wrong. It's the wrong answer. You see, my life before Jesus, no matter what age it was where I professed my belief in Jesus the first time, that was a life opposed to Jesus. That was a life opposed to Him, opposed to His truth. That was a life of persecution of Him, of Jesus. You see, then I turned my life over to Jesus, and it was super easy after that. Everything came easily. Everything came naturally. Wrong again, huh? It didn't. You see, Jesus wasn't a magic pill. It wasn't a magic thing that I could swallow and suddenly make my life better. It wasn't a red or a blue thing. It was a uh, being dead in my sins, being dead in my transgressions. You see, we all share the same story. We all share the same story. We were all once dead. And then because of Jesus we move into new life. And that's what we're going to see today, edified again in the story of Paul. So as we pick up, uh, I want you to be thinking about uh, your story. What is your story? 
Why are you here this morning? Why did you get out of bed to an alarm clock or perhaps a small child if you live in my house? Why did you entirely make a cup of coffee? Sit down and hopefully enjoy a bite to eat, or perhaps not, again, those of you with small children, we know what that's like. There's not very much joy there sometimes. Why did you get in the car to come here on a Sunday morning? To come sing some songs? Is it because you're living your life for Him, in new life with Him, or perhaps you're here checking a box? Perhaps you're here if it's the right, good Christian thing to do. Maybe you're wondering what your story is. Maybe you're wondering, why does it matter? Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're wondering where Jesus is at. Maybe you haven't heard from him in a while. Maybe he hasn't heard from you in a while. Maybe you're wondering what tomorrow's going to bring. Perhaps you are concerned with uh, the weeks to come. Maybe you have somebody on your mind this morning and you just wish that they would be here because they need to hear this message. Because they need to hear about who Jesus is and what he's doing, what he could do in their life. Maybe that's, maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're here hoping and praying that that person in your life will turn from the ways, turn from what they've been following. Maybe, maybe it's all about that person right now and you're not thinking about yourself whatsoever. That's great. Or maybe, maybe you don't know why you're here at all. Maybe you're here because somebody sent in an invite to you and said, hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday morning? And you said, okay. Cool, yeah. That sounds great. Sounds like a fun thing to do. I'd love to be around people who are excited about life, who are excited about what God's doing. That makes sense. And I hope that if that is you, that that is what you've experienced today. I hope that that is what you've seen. See, we're here and we gather to, to worship the God of the universe. The author and professor of, of our faith. The inspiration behind every word in, in this book. See, that's why we're here. We're here as brothers and sisters to lift up his name above our own because this world teaches us to lift our name above his. To choose whatever the world has to offer to fill in that gap instead of his name. Instead of who he is. And so it's really easy to come to something like this and go, hey, I'm here, I'm doing the Christian thing, I'm doing the right thing, right? This is what it means to be a Christian, is it not? And what we're going to see from Paul this morning is that this right here is not what it means to be a Christian. This is something that we do to lift up somebody else's name above our own, to come together as brothers and sisters to strengthen, to encourage one another. Because the mission field exists outside these doors. Because we don't get to be Christians on Sunday mornings and then again on a Wednesday night small group. When you have given your life over to Jesus, it is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week commitment. But we're not perfect, are we? We don't always get it right, do we? And that was one of the amazing benefits of coming together, of gathering together, of being the church. And that is what the book of Acts is about. How important it is to gather together, to really be the church. 
Because I can't do it on my own. And you can't do it on your own. And your family can't do it by yourself either. This is why we come together. This is why we lift up His name in worship. And now as we turn our attention to the Word, let's remember that we are still worshiping the God of the universe here right now as we take a look at what He has for us. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful Sunday where we get to come together and worship in freedom. We get to lift up your name in freedom. Father, we know that there are brothers and sisters right now who cannot do this, who do not have the opportunity to come together to carry a Bible around publicly, to sing praises to your name. They don't have Jesus music on the radio. We know, Father, that there are brothers and sisters today that are persecuted, that are killed for their faith, that are removed from their families, and yet we are here lifting up your name in complete freedom. God, may we remember to never give up in freedom what our brothers and sisters would never give up in persecution. God, would you just open up our hearts to what you have for us this morning in your word. So as we turn our attention to Acts, chapter 21, verse 37, now I'm going to read up through uh, 22.2. We're going to talk a little about where we're at now, where we've been uh, the last couple of weeks, and then we're going to get into uh, 22.2 through uh, uh, verse 11. This uh, sermon is titled, No Plan B. Uh, you're going to see uh, here again that there is uh, no plan B for Paul. There's no plan B. There never has been, there never will be. When Paul was formerly Saul, and he was zealous for the law, you'll see that there's no plan B for him there. And then you're going to see as he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, there is still, guess what, no plan B. It isn't, oh, I was doing this, this was my plan A, okay, now I'm going to shift over to my plan B, now I'm going to be, now I'm going to follow Jesus, kind of. No, you're going to see that it was, this is always plan A for Paul. This is always, and we can learn something from that. We can learn something from how we live our life that we wake up on Monday morning to the, uh, the plan A for our life. Verse 37, As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, this is uh, the leader of the tribune, Do you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stood up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Verse 40, And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Verse 2, chapter 22, And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, Don't get a cup that's complicated for you to open. <laughs> uh, he is addressed in the Hebrew language saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. He said. Right, a couple things happening here. So for those of us that uh, are catching up um, these last couple of weeks, uh, Paul, has uh, his missionary journey has shifted his attention towards Jerusalem. He arrives in Jerusalem. He stays with uh, some, some uh, brothers in, uh, there in, in Jerusalem. 
and he goes through uh, the rites of purification so that he could then join uh, brothers and sisters in the temple and worship and lift up uh, God's name the, the right way, as, as Paul might say. And he's there and, and he goes through these rites of purification. And this is part of the old Jewish law. You had to do these things. You were in unclean country. You were in unclean places. you got to clean yourself up before you can spend time with us. And so Paul says, okay, well, I don't want to cause unnecessary division in the church. We're trying to find unity here. And so he, he starts going through his rites of purification. And he pays for uh, four other men to do the same so that he can show, hey, I'm trying to emphasize the fact here that this is about Jesus. I'm not trying to cause division here. Yes, I am preaching the gospel. Yes, I am with the way, as it was called. Christianity used to be called the way. I think we should get back to calling it that. Now, Paul's doing this in seeking out unity. He's seeking out unity for the, the church, and it doesn't go according to plan. There's rumors spread about Paul. He's the guy who's preaching against God. He's preaching against our traditions. He's preaching against this, that, and the other thing. The tribune here, as you see, they think that he might be this dude who led 4,000 people in revolt in Egypt. He's not that guy either. But these are the rumors that are going around. They're trying to figure out who is this guy? Who is this guy? What is he, what is he been doing? What is he guilty of? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's guilty of. But no, they're really trying to paint a picture of him to get him guilty of anything we can possibly get him guilty of. So uh, last week, he was getting stoned and beat. And that's when this tribune comes down because they're going, whoa, there's a revolt. There's something else going on. we got to get order in the city. we got to get order in the city. Somebody's causing a problem. And so they go down and they arrest Paul. It's getting arrested that saves Paul's life. In this moment. It's getting arrested that saves his life. And so Paul, a very well-educated man, he's speaking perfect Greek to the tribune. They understand him. And that's their tip-off that Okay, this isn't the crazy dude that we've heard about. He knows Greek. He's speaking perfect Greek to us. And so they give him, they, 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 they give him, give him the pulpit, so to speak. They give him a stage. They say, sure, you can address the people. And what does Paul do here? He's not looking for a way out of getting arrested. He's not looking for a way into freedom so he can move on to uh, whatever life awaits for him. He goes right back to the people that were just trying to kill him to do what? To share his story. This is what Jesus did in my life. As we're about to find. And so he turns and now he's speaking perfect Hebrew. And how does he address them? Brothers and fathers. Why? Why does he address them that? These are the people that Paul has grown up with. These are the people that Paul would have been in classes with. Would have been studying with. Back when he was known as Saul. This is him. These are people that know who he is. He mentions the fact. Hey look. This is where I grew up. No obscure city. I'm well known. These people actually do know me. How perfect of a man to reach this part of the church that's so lost, so, so confused, so wrapped up in the law, missing Jesus, missing the point altogether. How perfect that you pick somebody who was so devout in the law, he was going to be, and, and honestly, Saul, he had it made. He was well-educated, well-studied. He, he was going to be a, a, a top Pharisee. Somebody who had uh, plenty of money coming to him. A very comfortable life. 
That's what he was going to be. He had it made. He had it made. And his life is wrapped up in, in, in protecting the law, protecting through his zeal for the law. He was, he was convicted, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. He was, he was committed to it. His zeal for the law is who Saul is. So we're going to pick up here in chapter 22, verse 3, as he is going to share his story. He's going to connect with this group of people that just moments before this were trying to kill him. He's going to share his story. And we're going to take a look and see what happens then. Verse 3, chapter 22. I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, this city being Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous, for God, as all of you are this day, he's connecting with this group of people that so desperately wants to kill him. I persecuted this way, this way being the way, being uh, Christianity, being following Jesus Christ to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders to bear me witness. You guys are here. You know what I did. This is what he's saying. Say, hey, all of you, the council, the elders, the people that you're currently following, the people that you're so focused on, on, on dotting your I's and crossing your T's, these are the people. They know. They know what I did. They tasked me to do it. And I followed through. I persecuted the way unto death. I dragged mothers and fathers out of their homes because they were following Jesus. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them to bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. Seven, Verse 7, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Let's pause there for a moment. We just finished reading verse 8. Imagine living your entire life so zealous for the law. And in Hebrew law, Saul thought he was serving the Lord in this capacity. And in many rights, he was. But he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know him. So he was on his way to Damascus to do what? To persecute the way. To find the Christians. To bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. This is Saul's life. So far, this is Saul's testimony. And then he meets who? Jesus. And he addresses the voice. Who are you, Lord? And he says to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Now I'm slightly jealous of the person preaching next week because they get to finish out this passage. That is where we get to lead it today. Paul is now Saul. He's still Saul in, in, in the part of the story. He's blind. He's on his way to Damascus. Now let's not forget that Paul is actually 
at the steps of, of, uh, of, of the, the, the barracks, and he is, he is talking to a crowd of people that were just trying to kill him, sharing his story, sharing his story about who Jesus is. In a moment here, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there and follow along, you're welcome to. I'm going to paraphrase the, the chapter for the sake of time, because uh, I know that everybody does eventually want lunch, but hey, it is all good. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of, uh, of, of key stories, key parables that you may have heard about. Because here we have Paul sharing his story yet again. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did in my life. And we have an, an angry crowd that wants to kill him. And we've got Saul, blind, being led to Damascus. A city where he was going to persecute the way, where he's actually going to be introduced to the way. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into that comparison game and we go, well, what about me? What about my story? What about my Damascus moment? You see, I, I was raised in the church and that's just all I've ever known. What about me? When am I going to have that moment where suddenly it all makes sense to me? Or perhaps this is your first time hearing that Jesus died for you. He died for you. He was that perfect sacrifice. Because you were lost. Like me, you were living life opposing Jesus. You were living life in sin. And then one day, you gave your life over to Him. You professed your belief in Him. You were lost, and, and then you were found. You see, if we're about to read Luke 15. When, when that happened, heaven celebrated. Celebrated. Because it doesn't matter what the story is. The fact of the matter is you were once lost and then you were found. And there's a celebration because of that. In Luke chapter 15, the first story is one of a lost sheep. There's a shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep. And one of them goes missing. One of them. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. And then he finds the one, and what happens? There's a celebration. He gets the other shepherds together and goes, Hey, guess what? I found my lost sheep. And they go, That's amazing. And then we turn, we, we turn a couple verses down, and there's, there's a woman with a lost coin. And from what we can tell, she doesn't have much. And she loses this coin. And she looks all over. All over. She tears her house apart. And she finds this coin. And what does she do? She celebrates. I found my lost coin. I found my lost coin. You see, when you turn your life from death to life, when you confess your belief in Jesus, when you gave your life over to Him, there's a celebration. Heaven celebrate. It didn't matter that you were killing Christians before and that wasn't your story. 
You don't need to have this amazing, heartfelt, gut-wrenching story because the reality is you were lost. And then you were found. And there was a celebration because of that. Heaven celebrated. And then we turn to the, the prodigal son. There's a story. There's, there's a man. He has built a fair amount of wealth. He has a fair amount of land. He has employees. He has people that work for him. And he has two sons. He has two sons. One of them older and one of them younger. The older son does, does all of these things right. He follows all of the rules. He honors his father as much as he can. And then the younger one says, Hey, Dad, I don't really want to live here anymore. I want my inheritance now. And his dad looks at him and he goes, Son, I love you. Okay. He gives him his inheritance. And what does he do with it? He leaves and he goes and he squanders it. He lives his life. He goes. He spends it all. He spends it all. He spends his time with prostitutes. He spends his time living it up, partying. He's lost. He's so lost. He's so lost, he finds himself eating out of a pig's trough. The lowest of lows. He's got nothing left. He's got nothing left. And it, it, it hits him. There's this moment. It hits him. My father's employees, the people that work for my father, live a better life than I do. What am I doing here? I'm going to go home. And I'm going to beg and plead my father to hire me to work for him. Because that will be a better life. And he goes home. He goes home. And before he gets there, his dad sits on the porch. He's looking. He goes, that's my son. And what does he do? He runs to him. He runs to him and he embraces his son. He embraces him. And he says, welcome home. Because his son was lost. His son was lost. And of course, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and so I relate to this older brother. And I look at this, and I see, I see, I see the older brother in the story. He's like, Dad! He took everything and he spent it! And you're going to throw a party for him? Why? His dad, he takes the fat calf and he kills it. And he throws a party and his, his old brother's like, hey, I wanted that. What about me? What about me? What about me? You read the story, his father, his father looks at him and he goes, son, your, your brother was lost. Now he's found. You have had me. You have me. And so the question for us, the question for us is now what? Now what? Paul, he's sharing his story. He's sharing his story in front of a crowd of people who want to kill him. He's sharing his story about how he was once lost. He was that lost sheep. He was that lost coin. Now what? Now what? 
For you, what will you do with this story? Because like it or not, we are all sinners. We all share in this same story. We were all once living for death. Maybe you still are. If you have questions about that, you need to grab somebody and ask, what does this mean? Because the truth is, the truth is, Jesus lived a perfect life. It's the perfect sacrifice. We needed payment for this sin. We needed something to pay for this sin once and for all. And so Jesus, poetically enough, well before Paul is set his face towards Jerusalem, he goes towards Jerusalem. There's a party for Jesus before he enters Jerusalem. There's people laying down their coats on the street. There's people waving palm branches. Hosanna! And the same people a few days later are shouting, Persecute him! Kill him! Crucify him! The same people. That's you and that's me who drove those nails into those wrists hanging on that cross and those feet. That's you and that's me. And Jesus hung there. And he took on the sin of the world for you and for me. So that you could no longer live in death but turn and live in life. So that there could be a celebration in heaven. Because you gave your life to him. Because you were once lost. You were once lost and then you were found. You see, Jesus died and he conquered the grave because he rose three days later. And they're still looking for that body. They can't find it. Why? It's gone. The penalty was paid. The penalty was paid. In a moment here, Patrick's going to come up and lead us through communion. Communion is for those of you who are followers of Jesus. As we remember that sacrifice, as we remember that story that is still being written, because you and I part of that story. We all share that same story. We were all once lost. Some of us still are. Some of us are found. So now what? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this time that you have brought us together. God, as we turn our attention to communion, Father, Break down whatever barriers, break down whatever walls we have that have convinced us that this lost life is so good for us. God, as we, as we find ourselves eating out of pig troughs, thinking that it's so great, God, would you open our eyes to what the world is offering to us? It's a giant pig trough. And what you have for us is truly so much better. No, it's not easy, God. No, we know it's not easy. You see, you don't tell us that this life is meant to be easy. You don't tell us that at all. Father, you created us to glorify you. So God, when we find ourselves desiring to leave this life itself as an offering at your feet, 
God, that you would use us, that you would use us, because he found us. So God, use us to find more, so that more people would know you. God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your words. We thank you that you found us. And that you're looking for us. And that you have never been out of us. <laughs>